Hello, everybody, and welcome to Post Wrestling's WWE third quarter earnings analysis. I am John Pollock and happy to be joined by Mr. WrestleNomics himself, Brandon Thurston, who is joining us from the mobile WrestleNomics studio. Brandon, this is the real back. studio, real studio today. Oh, we've got the the the, uh, <laughs> the non studio, uh, non wheels version of of the Correct. studio, which it, studio. it could be coming to a town like you. It is really this year's uh, version of the Lex Express. That's right. Yeah, I've, I've got to get one of those wraps around it. But yes, no, this is the real studio mm. today. Similar background, but but yes, the this is the real headquarters that I'm broadcasting from. And is the studio going on the road in a couple of weeks to Newark, New Jersey, Full Gear Weekend? We are. Uh, the day of Full Gear, November 19th, right? Correct. At QXT Nightclub. Correct. Right? Right. Yes. Just down the street from the Prudential, uh, Prudential Center. Yeah. How, how has my marketing been of the uh, the post-wrestling five-year anniversary show? I'm Excellent. trying to create I, I a – I caught the, the commercials before the post-wrestling podcasts. Very persuasive. Well, I'm, I'm trying to create a brand moat for ourselves, Brandon. A talent moat, Yes. That's it. So we have, uh, we, we had quite a lot of, uh, of, of lines in this, uh, particular earnings call that we will be getting into. Uh, but yes, we are going to dive into all things, uh, related to the earnings call on Wednesday night, which, as I stated on Rewind to Dynamite, please, WWE, never again on a Wednesday night. It, it could literally be any other night of the week and, uh, and I would be fine. Mornings would be a godsend, but we can compromise. Thursday night would be much better. Let's let's they were, avoid they were doing it to, to compete with Wednesday night dynamite, just to go head to head almost. Oh, this nearly killed me, but uh, here we are after after all this time. And I've got to say right off the top, uh, Brandon, it is the elephant in the room still to me on these earnings calls. We are so used to one very distinct voice on these calls. Uh, maybe it's just a brief uh, a brief line or two here or there. Not always the most present on the calls, but once again absent. From one of these earnings calls, Laura Martin from Needham, Brandon. Uh, yeah, I don't think has, she covers WWE stock anymore. We haven't heard from her in a while. I mean, this is this is the quiet era that WWE has moved on by the, this year. I mean, maybe 2022 has signaled the end of Laura Martin on these calls. Maybe that was a yeah. uh, an analyst I, I, from I the past. When W did the W network and they got into streaming, that was a big deal, and they were an early player to the network. I think they got a lot of a lot of the big names that you would see on CNBC as talking heads. I think like even Rich Greenfield was was uh, on these calls. You look back at the old transcripts, but but yes, we're we're in a more a slightly more mundane era of of W earnings. What would be your estimate of you know some of these like regular names that you hear on these the the Curry Bakers, the Eric Handlers, the uh, the uh, you know, light shed media, Brandon Ross, uh, that, that's his name. Would this be like, are they covering, would you say dozens of these earnings calls? Would you imagine it is like, like, what do you think is the scope of companies that they are covering at, at this level and participating in different earnings calls that they are trying to form a, a an expertise in of understanding? Well, they, they all, most of them produce reports like equity analyst reports. I can always see the the Morgan Stanley ones because I have an E-Trade account, which is owned by Morgan Stanley. So I see Ben Swinburne. He was not on the call uh, this this time, but he put out some report every now and then, at least whenever they change their price target. And you can see they, they list the companies that he covers. And it's, I don't know, a, a dozen, maybe more, maybe 20 even. So it's it's one among many other companies that they're, they're covering. Um and I think, you know, like somebody like Brandon Ross, I get the impression that they're, they're just covering sort of everything across mm-hmm. media as much, as much as they think is, is relevant for them to cover. 
We're going to be uh, going through all of the uh, the results of the earnings uh, report. But uh, if you do have a question for Brandon later on, uh, send us a super chat. We will get to those uh, later on. Uh, if you submit any, you are under no obligation to do so. But I guess, Brandon, uh, coming out of this quarter, there was a lot for WWE to pat itself on the back for. And this certainly felt kind of like a celebratory call that this is the new era of the company that is yielding a lot of success based on different metrics that they were able to uh to put out for everybody and it seems to have been met very favorably would you agree with that assessment i mean how how strong of a quarter was this for wwe versus your own expectations going in I think there's, there's something to tie this in, into, uh, how they made you stay, you know, work through the whole night yet, uh, yesterday in that this was originally supposed to happen. This earnings report was supposed to happen on this morning, right? Correct. Yeah. Before the opening of the market this morning. Um, they changed it in like a week ago. They changed it to yesterday evening and they said that that was to accommodate scheduling related to the Saudi Arabia event that are, that's happening on Saturday. I'm guessing they did this to allow, Paul Levesque to participate when maybe he wasn't planned to participate. Um, and I think this was really to, to show off what they did with the content, with the creative. Um, this was a big victory lap and celebration for how great the content is now in their view, at least. It did feel like a call that was, you know, a very big spotlight on Paul Levesque. Like they were able to look at, at television numbers and very much equate that to the creative direction and Paul Levesque kind of being presented as, you know, this is the person that we are presenting. He's got the, the magic touch. When all of television is down, we have got a product that is going against those trends. Like it, it felt very much, th- this was hardly, um, you know, a, eh, Take it over, Nick. Uh, this was Paul Levesque very much having a big presence on on this call. Probably, you know, aside from the last call, like the the most that we're hearing uh, from Paul Levesque, obviously with the the new duties. But it felt like he was he was more so the focus of this call to me. Yeah, the, there's other stories that I think are, are big coming out of this, but that was a big one. And again, again, I think they changed the scheduling because of it. This is not Vince McMahon would never talk about creative to this extent before. I think it was. You know, I, I wrote about this ahead of time, so maybe I'm confirming my own bias. But I, you know, I expected that they were barely going to talk about Vince, or and I was going to be curious to see how they presented what I expected to be their celebration of increased TV ratings, good attendance. They got a lot of good news coming out of Clash the Castle that we can get into, and how they did all this. And they were going to point to the content. Of course, the, the reason why business is ever good is because of things we're doing internally, including the content. And the reason why things are ever down is because of things that are happening externally that we have no control over. But um, they, their, their content is perceptibly better. And I think it really is driving TV ratings to be better than they would, uh, would be otherwise. I think it, it really is driving ticket sales to be better than they would be otherwise. And that's because of the content. And I thought there were some, some curious comments that, that I'm, I'm tempted to overanalyze. That's what we do we're, here. <laughs> where, where, where Paul Levesque talks about uh, in the Q&A, Brandon Ross asks him to give us your core tenets of your content philosophy. What what we we lay people in the wrestling media world might call your booking philosophy. And he, he, he came up with this amazing idea uh, about long-term planning and and doing things. He, he put it, you pick places that you want to go to Put them into your creative GPS system and then figure out how you want to get to those things 
It's looking further ahead than we've ever done before. A revelatory idea to plan long-term and actually execute those long-term plans. This is something that is completely new, at least to WWE. Uh, that it's just something that, that Vince never did. Um, and there, there were other little things, again, that I'm, I'm tempted to overanalyze. Where even Stephanie said we have a renewed energy around our creative. Later, she said there's strong IP and better storytelling drives all lines of business. Which implies that something was not happening before. Oh, we got this big story, too, about the White, Rat, White Rabbit project centered around Bray Wyatt. Someone who Vince McMahon fired brought him back to, to, to all of this increased interest. Um, I think it's, it's uh, sort of an indictment in an, in an indirect way and in a way that they don't want to, to do. Uh, they still want to celebrate the greatness of Vince McMahon. But I think it's, it's an indictment of the job that Vince did at least for the last few years creatively and the disservice that that did to investors and the money that that left on the table. Um, something I've yelled about for years and, and that I, that I feel vindicates uh, my opinion, but yeah. I think that that subtext you would be, uh, it, it was incapable of not reading what was unsaid with all of what you just outlined there, that it's, you can certainly debate the on-screen product. Like have the changes been, uh, gigantic, medium, minor, everyone can debate that. But I think it is indisputable that in terms of the process of producing television, the process of planning and character development, you can certainly see a peek behind the scenes here that this just feels like a much better run machine where, um, as Paul puts in his destination for his uh, creative GPS. Um, he's not getting behind the wheel and suddenly, um, well, the en route is closed and now we're going to take this direction. And it turns out uh, we're not going across the city. We're actually going backwards now. Actually, we're going back home. We're not even going on a trip. That was the uh, the, the perceived plan of of the past, that the, the destination is now in front of them. And it just seems like a better, well-run structure that they have in place now. Yeah, I, I think three of, of Vince's major issues were his, were his inability to plan long-term to execute those plans without changing them. S over scripting and a lot of the inauthenticity and language that he injected into the product that is still present, but has been toned down and his misvaluation of talent, which I think we're seeing start to get, start to get evened out. Um, but to be clear, like I, a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about whether or not W has truly changed and truly gotten better. I mean, people are entitled to have whatever taste opinion they want. Um, but, but clearly there's, and I've had people tell me, you know, over the years, well, you know, all this creative stuff is subjective. We can argue about it, about whether this vision or that vision is better. But yesterday, and, and I think through, throughout the, the years, you can always look at objective measurements, particularly with consumer metrics to say whether or not what WWE is doing, what any wrestling company is doing, any content producer is doing is actually engaging consumers. And from 2017 to 2020, there were annual declines in consumer metrics. We talk about TV, TV rights obscuring that because those are so big and growing so strongly. But there are objective measures to show, look, the creative is weak, and the creative was resulting in weaker consumer metrics, TV ratings, ticket sales, maybe merchandise sales. And uh, that has at least stabilized and somewhat reversed in the first quarter since Vince is out of the picture.
And just to recap, the revenue for the quarter was at approximately $304.6 million, net income of $41.6 million, um, slightly down from the net income of uh, one year ago, and $0.49 cents, uh, per share. So in terms of just um, the baseline uh, numbers, Brandon, um, how in line were these with um, kind of what you were uh, projecting and, and how you read these? Much, much higher than the consensus analyst, and I was way low. This was way over what I expected. This was even over in their favorite profit metric, adjusted OEBDA. This was higher than their own guidance that they gave for this quarter, which they gave in, in advance on the prior uh, report. Um, so I was messing around with the spreadsheet today. I think I'm going to have to raise my, my stock price target on Dota B. Um, this, this was better than, than the consensus of stock analysts. Um, and I think I was missing some math around around expenses or something. But um, this was a good quarter, and they're going to make around $1.3 billion in revenue, and they're going to make, I believe, in excess of $200 million in net income. So it's going to be another record-breaking year for them financially. Um, well, we'll kind of jump over to d- different places, but Clash at the Castle was, you know, a big high point for them over this quarter. You know, when the tickets first went on sale, uh, there was definitely a lot of sticker shock from a lot of uh, fans. The average ticket price was about $148, but this was a show that because there was just one international event, we didn't have to do too much creative math to see that it was an $8 million gate. And uh, the unknown is the site fee that Nikon has now told us expect us in the site fee space in the future. So um, that would be a very interesting number to know of what they took in on top of the merchandise sold at this event, on top of an enormous gate um, by, by any measure. And obviously their, their plan to continue with more of these, likely on an international stage. He referred to the site fee as a multi-million dollar fee that added to the economics of that event. So I, I believe $8 million was it something like 8 million 20,000? So basically 8 million even is, is the ticket sales for Clash the Castle. And if you look at their live events reporting, which they break down into four lines, North American ticket sales, international ticket sales, advertising and sponsorship and other, I would guess that, that a site view would be, be in the other category. The other category for Q3 is $1.8 million. So I don't know if that's multi. Um, but, but, uh, it's, but they, but that quarter, isn't usually zero. That quarter is usually like two. This is not an, an extremely larger than usual quarter for the other category within live event revenue. In any case, I'm sure it, it added substantially to the, to the, uh, to what they made from Clash the Castle. Nikon mentioned in the call that they're almost done with another deal somewhere for another PLE. And I think there's an opportunity, especially in international markets to, do these pay-per-views that have basically never gone to international markets. There's been the specific UK pay-per-views way in the past that, you know, for, for, to, to the perspective of us viewers basically didn't, didn't exist. Um, there was an Australia event in 2018, but I think there's opportunity to, to go back to the UK to do a pay-per-view at some point, maybe not next year, but in the future that would still do strong business, maybe Australia, they did a really strong house show in, in Paris uh, within the last few months. Maybe Germany is another market. Um, and, and something else that Nikon talked about was how it makes their media rights easier to sell in a given market when they're able to go to one of these regions and put on a huge show that presumably they can invite 
business partners or potential business partners to and impress them, which sounds like something that happens in the business world. So it all has a, a deal-making synergistic effect. Yeah, I think they're going to be loading up the uh, the Rogers Sportsnet team onto the Via Rail and sending them to Montreal in, in February. Come, we got come some see specific Canada talk here. He mentioned that there's not just a handful of potential suitors in Canada, but a plethora. Is that yes. true? I cannot fathom a I guess everyone's definition of plethora may vary, but I mean, you have the big two here that are Sportsnet and TSN. TSN is, you know, the partner of AEW at the moment. Not that I feel that would necessarily uh, inhibit things. If, if you recall, TSN at one point had both the WWF and WCW rights at the same time. And it was just, you know, a, a lack of options. I, I would be. I would be very surprised if they would want to venture away. Sportsnet is so tied in. They distribute the WWE Network as well. But uh, Sportsnet, I mean, think about this. By the time that deal is up, WWE will have signed like three U.S. media rights deals in that time. Like they signed that in 2014, um, which whatever they spent at that time, uh, compare it to today. I mean, it was for all of WWE programming, plus the network at the at the at stage one. So, I mean, it was a great deal on, on Roger's behalf, uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. I, I think that deals were something like seven to $10 million a year, but that's a very long deal. That's longer than any of their other deals. The U S deal is about five years, but like are, are in Canada, are there any, what networks are airing sports? Is it just TSN and, and uh, Sportsnet? I mean, those are the predominant ones. I mean, it's, it's a real step down after that when you're, when you're looking at, um, a network that has, uh, national reach, um, you know, that you, d- you're not going into the, the digital channel space, which is going to have a, a, a very finite audience. I mean, when it, when it comes to sports networks, and maybe they're not limiting themselves to sports networks, um, I just look at those two as the ones that could, where could you command anything at the level of if it's a seven to eight million dollar a year deal and looking for a healthy increase on that? Um, I don't know. I just, I just don't know where they come up. Make any sense? I mean, like CBC is, is still airing hockey. Is that right? Well, it's, CBC has uh, an, an agreement through Sportsnet where they can still carry hockey, but it's, it's essentially Sportsnet retains all of the advertising rights for it. It's like CBC. I, I would say that is a far cry. CTV. From- I'm, I'm reaching back in, into my, my, you know, living in Buffalo and, and getting some over the air Toronto stations. See, when you're talking about these networks, though, it's like you're, you're interrupting. You know, all their, their, their scripted series as well in prime time that, uh, I don't know if they would necessarily be, uh, flipping over for professional wrestling, but, um, you know, he, he would probably have a better indication the, than, than I of, uh, what, what the plethora of options are, uh, in Canada, but maybe we'll get a sense. Maybe we'll be taking attendance at the Bell Center in February, seeing what, what executives from the Canadian television industry are in attendance or not. Um, uh, mo- moving on just from, uh, from Clash at the Castle, another, you know, big focus was certainly the, the White Rabbit project and putting a lot of spotlight on Bray Wyatt and by extension, uh, Paul Levesque for this, this novel, uh, reintroduction of a character sending their viewers through puzzles and QR codes and leading to the September 23rd rating on SmackDown and a big boost for Extreme Rules that they gave the credit to, uh, Bray Wyatt. And it certainly seems that this will be, you know, similar strategies that they will put in place in, in the future and, that seemed to be like the, the big creative win of the quarter was this white rabbit project as um, so, something novel that I think it's the type of thing that is going to um, 
translate well to people that are looking at the WWE as being on uh, the cutting edge of technology. Uh, Stephanie McMahon stating that one of their their big areas that they're excited for is whatever the metaverse becomes. And I think this is sort of their uh, interpretation of how they can navigate this this new technology. Mm-hmm. There was a, a lot of praise for for the White Rabbit project and the they mentioned, as you would expect, that the September 23rd SmackDown rating which I believe did 2.5 million viewers, which is if you, if you excuse that, um, December 25th, that Christmas day episode of SmackDown that had an NFL lead in that did like 3.3 million viewers. If you, if you throw that away, that is the highest since March of 2020. Um, it's interesting to me though, like that, that September 23rd episode, which there were so many hints in the QR codes and in all the clues that, you know, something is happening on 923. At nine on nine twenty three at nine twenty three, nothing happened. There was a commercial. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not like that led to the day. You would you would think if you didn't watch WWE, you didn't pay attention to what was going on. That that's maybe that's was that extreme rules was was that when he came back? It was not. Um, and I and I don't know that there was any was there any significant clue additionally that was given on that day. In any case, that did a huge rating, and I think you have to credit that. The reason why that did a huge rating is because of the hype around the White Rabbit, whatever it meant. And people did tune in, and I saw that bared out in the quarter hours where in those two quarters around 923, that was a high point for the show. But they led you to watch a commercial, basically. Um, but the, the Extreme Rules show did, did well enough, and they pointed out that the Bray Wyatt t-shirt uh, that they sold after Extreme Rules, after he did return... Uh, was the best-selling item. He doesn't, didn't, Paul Levesque said this, and didn't give a timeline. Was it for a day? Was it for an hour? Was it for a week? Was the best-selling item, not just on WWE, but on Fanatics, which is the new e-commerce platform that they're a part of with a lot of other sports leagues. Stephanie McMahon, um, as we mentioned here, she spoke about the, these five areas of excitement, and uh, included in those five was potential mergers and acquisitions and then this did yes. l- later come up in one of the uh, one of the questions for Stephanie and y- you could tell like she mentioned it but was not going to go into any great depth she said in terms of like short term acquisitions she really painted it as just so- some small ideas but long term basically stating who knows what, what what it could mean i mean it was the most vague of answers but uh, this again is a very ambiguous thing to say yeah um, not as specific I, I think, as she was in the last call, where it seemed like she she went out of her way to sort of address uh, Brandon Ross's uh, tiptoeing around the the subject. This one a bit more guarded from Stephanie. Yeah, if you wanted to write clickbait headlines, this is a great one to latch on to to say Stephanie McMahon talks about mergers and acquisitions, ta- talks about selling the company. Um, I think though, based on the question from J.P. Morgan analyst David Kronofsky later in the Q and A. She certainly made it sound like they were talking about WWE acquiring other companies, as she put it, that aligns with their core competencies. What what does this management team, minus Vince McMahon now, see as WWE's core competencies? Like, are are they going to get back into making movies? It appears not. That that appears to be something that Nick Khan has been very involved with. Let's license our IP to others, such as you know the Young Young Rock program. Uh, let let them pay us and let them produce the content. Uh, pr- production events, you know, high high production value events. I heard something about that months ago that W was considering doing that. That was still in the Vince era, though. 
Um, it, 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 if you want to write more clickbait headlines, are they talking about acquiring other wrestling companies? I don't know what wrestling companies there would be out there to acquire. No might have made sense before Cyber Agent acquired it in Japan. There's AAA and CMLL in Mexico, but in the in the Colin Cowherd interview that Nikon did uh, well over a year ago, he said that he did he did bring up breaking into Latin America and said that there are two companies there, but they're not considering acquiring them. They just see that they see Mexico and Latin America as as a growth opportunity. So I have no idea what she's talking about, but but you know I guess we'll we'll watch to see if 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 they're going to acquire somebody. Um, we'll see. Yeah, certainly one that you can interpret in in many different ways. This was also the return of a global localization, a uh, yes. a, a long term standing term, and it seems that they are full back into into this mode. Which, Did you notice? Is it, is it local globalization now, or is it global localization? I think we heard both. I feel when it was introduced first, is that a meaningful call, difference? Yeah, I think that can be certainly left for uh, in interpretation. But it was it was Nick Kahn saying that him and Fr him and Frank they always talk about how this is a localized global product. Um, that you know they just sit back, maybe they have a uh, a martini together, and they just chat about this great localized global product that they are key executives in distributing. But um, and, and and DX member Triple H told told Frank that he's really looking forward to, to war games. Was was yeah. there more of a no sell than Frank Riddick? Thanks. Paul. Yeah. But, but a few other topics. Can you give us an update on, on where the, uh, where the Hulu deal stands and, uh, the, the, the second day, the re-air rights, uh, for Raw, NXT, and, uh, other non-Smackdown programming because, uh, they did address this in the call. Yeah. I've, I've been following the updates on the Hulu interface where you, if you go to, and Hulu is only US, but I have, um, I have, yeah, this, I signed this is up all for different it. territory for me. I have no, I have no interaction with Hulu. You, you would need a VPN probably to check it out, but I, I have signed up for a Hulu trial and it is now rolled over into a paid account. So they got me by, by doing this. Um, but the Hulu deal, I believe expired in September and you started to see around that time, Hulu content on, or sorry, W content on Hulu tagged as expiring Saturday, expiring someday in the future and repeatedly. Those tags would get extended as, as that day that I was going to expire finally approached. This happened a few times. And uh, about a week ago, those tags disappeared. And I, and I waited for them to come back, but they did not come back. But I, I, we got a, a clarification here that I, that I didn't expect. Uh, Nikon said that they had extended their deal with Hulu. Frank Riddick said more about it. Um, it sounds like they have taken a low-revenue deal with Hulu to extend it. So that the Hulu deal expires in line with their live rights in the U.S. to Raw and SmackDown, which would be September 2024. And I think they want to do that because they want to be able to go to whoever it might be, maybe especially Amazon, and say, maybe we'll sell you the live rights. And it would be a lot more valuable, wouldn't it, if to not just sell you the live rights. I can't imagine, let's say, SmackDown ending up on Amazon Prime as only a live broadcast without an ability to watch it the next day or immediately after. Um, so that's what they've done. Uh, and they've, it, Frank Riddick put it as there's going to be a mild headwind in their finances because they've taken a lower revenue deal with Hulu. So they've taken a lower deal than it would be worth in order to be able to get this expiring, to get, get leverage uh, in their negotiation of U.S. 
live rights, which is the most important piece of their business. Um, I really think they're going to go after Amazon and maybe I, I, I see raw staying on the USA network because raw is, is so important to, to the USA network. USA has, has premier league now, which, which helps them. I think they have some NASCAR too, uh, but raw is still a really big deal for the USA network and NBC universal, which owns the USA network is obviously deeply involved with W in other ways, including with all of their PLE content and library content on Peacock. So that's really important to them. They have Ms. and Mrs. on, um, on that, that, that's on the USA network too. Um, the Hulu, the Hulu thing that they talked about with Montez Ford and Bianca Belair, that's, mm-hmm. is Disney, Disney's probably going to end up owning Hulu. But anyway, that, that's happening. NBC owns a piece of that. But I think Raw stays on the USA network. There's a question about whether or not Fox is really that happy with how SmackDown is doing. And Fox certainly can live without SmackDown. I think SmackDown's a good deal for them with, yeah, at $205 million a year. Um, that's, that's something like what, $4 million per episode roughly. So that's, that's a good deal for two hours of programming that ranks pretty highly in 1849, but still it's Fox and they, they have a lot of pretty high profile content that they could, they could probably replace it with. Uh, but maybe they kind of want to, want to keep it. But, uh, I think they could go to Amazon and Amazon can definitely afford to, to pay a lot. They're making investments so that they collect a lot of consumer behavior now and it pays off all later in the future. Uh, and Amazon, their only business is not media, right? Their main business is e-commerce and they have very deep pockets. They're one of the biggest companies in the world. They can certainly afford to pay a lot. Uh, w would be, be trading off a lot of reach streaming. Maybe definitely doesn't have the reach right now that Fox does. Uh, viewership would probably be lower. But, and as Nick Khan talked about, he really had some optimistic words to say about the relationship between Amazon and the NFL. Um, I was looking the other day at the Thursday night football ratings, which Nielsen is actually tracking. Yes. Uh, the first episode did 11 million viewers. So that's like on par with what the NFL network only games were doing on Thursday night. It has diminished each, each episode. Uh, some of those games have been kind of crappy games though. Uh, some low scoring games, uh, involving the bears and others, but. Um, but I think the, the ratings that the NFL has been able to do on prime video have been encouraging. It tells you that you won't be left in total obscurity here. If you put a live sport on a streaming platform, that's a strong streaming platform. It can't just be any streaming platform, but a major one. Right. And the total viewership is a lot lower for the Thursday night football games on prime video than it is for the other live NFL games, you know, in a, in a given week, it's lower by a few million at least, right? But if you look at the demos, if you look at 1849, if you look at 18 to 34, it's a lot more comparable. It's a lot closer. And as time goes on, those, those gaps are probably going to shrink. Uh, so it's encouraging that the NFL is doing that well and that maybe if W goes to puts one of their properties uh, exclusively on a streaming platform like Prime Video that they won't be left in total obscurity. Perhaps even they'll capture some younger viewers that they're not capturing as easily uh, with SmackDown, despite being being over the air. Almost nobody but me uses an antenna to capture uh, Fox. So it, it might make sense. You might be trading some reach, but you'll still have presence on basic cable on the USA Network. 
And in trade for that reach, certainly Amazon can afford to pay you to offset what you're sacrificing in the short term by not having access to as many people at large. So that may be a way to, if not end up on Amazon and get a lot of money, to leverage the ability to make a strong offer to Amazon, to leverage Fox or another major cable player to give them a really favorable deal. So reason to be optimistic that W is going to get a strong media rights fees upgrade. I would say that just this th- this initial uh, introduction of the NFL on on Amazon Prime, I think I think has made Amazon very viable, uh, more so to a-, a lot of these leagues that see that this as you know the potential to reach a younger audience. That it's not going to be um, the lack of visibility that maybe they thought streaming would inhibit them. That this could be a really big growth opportunity. Uh, Nikon also you know suggested a new buyer entering the space for Sunday ticket Apple has very much been attached to Sunday ticket so you know that's that to me is more of a of a stretch that they, that they would be in the market for WWE content but it's another player nonetheless and you know, we, you know it's a narrative that Nikon wants to tell about increasing players with deep deeper pockets that are coming in to bid on on sports rights that just encourages this market that we're a part of it's a, it's a smart play on, on their on their behalf to just be you know listing off all these endless options for them and you know it's it starts to get into this space Brandon, that we we all can forecast that it's going to be a sizable upgrade that WWE is staring at but what is the ceiling and it's it's a it's an impossible question to answer right now but it just seems like it could be a um I, I just I, I'm anticipating like a really hefty increase uh, during these these next rights it just seems like they have got a they're just in in a, in a great position, it, it would seem like, and not too far away is when the Peacock deal is up. That that could um, be another big play if if Amazon is in business with this company and and where the network rights go uh, once when, once that domestic deal is up. Yeah, I I think one point five x is the base case. If you think back, what their previous deal was, it was a three point six x increase over what they got before. That was in twenty eighteen. Nikon made that happen before he was an employee of WWE. Um, I think that 3.6x increase, which is like among the biggest factors you'll find short of something like Formula One, where they got like a 25x increase because they had a pretty small deal and then they exploded in popularity. But 3.6x, I think, was partly a makeup, sort of a make good for the low deal that they got in 2014. Um, but I think 1.5x is the base. Maybe there's some optimism that's creeping in that's that's pushing that base case a little higher. But I think something above that will, at least in the short term, drive the stock price up. I'm I'm wondering – the stock price, by the way, today is down like 5%. Yes. Um, which is – it's often the case on the day after earnings that this stock takes a, a pretty big sell-off hit. Um, I don't see that as as like a negative reaction to the, to the earnings report. Um, but I'm wondering if we're seeing the stock price grow pretty strongly in a macro environment where the ind- indexes are are down year to date by a lot. Um, I'm gonna, I wonder if as we get closer to, I would say, spring is when they might get a deal done and announce it. Or somebody like the Hollywood Reporter or Sports Business Journal will report that they've made a deal. Um, if we'll start to see this stock price go up to in the past would have been nonsensical bubble levels of, of, you know, valuation. Um, but it's, it's reasonable now. It's reasonable where it is right now. I think maybe even 80, $80 a share 
is reasonable. Uh, it's, it's at 74 right now. Um, but yeah, I think they're, they're definitely prepared. They have Nick Khan who's, who knows the media business and clearly has a lot of connections and experience in making these deals. And they have their content in a lot of different places, including broadcast, basic cable, including streaming. Um, so I think they're in a good position. I don't think Comcast is going to buy WWE. If they're going to buy WWE, it seems like next year is the year to buy WWE. But I don't think Brian Roberts and Comcast slash NBC Universal want to include a wrestling company in, into their brand. Um, Endeavor makes some sense, which is a talent agency that owns UFC. As uh, they have publicly, uh, you know, put their hand in the air. Mark, hey, Mark, if, they, if they're selling, we're, we're, we're buying potentially. Mark Shapiro, the president of Endeavor, was on the town podcast with Matt Bellany and said he sounded very interested, but he said that we understand that it's, it's not for sale. Uh, but I think that's a possibility someday. If they end up doing business with Amazon, maybe Amazon's a possibility someday. It seems on a, on a long enough timeline, it becomes more inevitable, more likely that, that somebody's going to absorb WWE. Um, but yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm tempted to, to go higher than, than 1.5x as a base case, but I have to think about it more. It was also um, Frank Riddick's uh, task to give us the, uh, the update on the special committee investigation into Vince McMahon and Ooh. a... Uh, unnamed executive, another executive who is no longer, uh, with, with the company, who, uh, may or not, may or may not have been the, uh, the brother of Road Warrior Animal. And yes. the investigation has come to a close. The special committee investigation is now complete and the special committee has been disbanded. Management is working with the board to implement the recommendations of the special committee. What are those implementations? What are those recommendations? We do not know. Not but telling this, you. This came with a price tag of uh, $19.4 million, and this is going to be covered. Some expensive recommendations. Very expensive recommendations that cannot be discussed or even alluded to. Um, that will be covered by a combination of uh, Vince McMahon's reimbursements and insurance. Now, Vince McMahon, also the largest uh, stockholder in the company. There was a $9 million uh, dividend payout, so Vince McMahon made some money uh, this quarter. And I guess that this is... This will be very interesting if this is the last time that Vince McMahon's name is brought up on one of these calls. Potentially, no, uh, because he's, he still does remain uh, your stockholder. Yeah. Uh, but this is certainly the last time I expect this investigation to be uh, brought up unless there is some um, addendum to this investigation in a future quarter. But it seems like this is this is behind us. It's done. Uh, it cost us some money, but it's being uh, covered by Vince in, in the majority of and everything's great. We're moving on. Nothing to see here. Yeah. I guess if, if he did something with his stock, they could mention him again, but it could, could be last time that Vince, Vince's name is ever uttered. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, the last report, they said that the investigation was substantially complete. I, I, I kind of, I guess this was news to everybody. I see, see like CNBC has put out an article saying the investigation is complete. I, I figured we'd, basically heard the last of it last time. And this was just a more definitive answer. I, 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 Fightful put out a report yesterday where they talked to people and just, just reassured readers that uh, Vince isn't coming back. Cause I, I, I'm guessing people must've read into this, this line in, in one of their reports. It's, it's in the 10 Q that um, Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon can effectively exercise control over our affairs because he is still the majority voting shareholder that that same line i made, made sure that same line is in the 
the 10 Q mm-hmm. last quarter too. This was not a new revelation. Um, so yeah, like, I, like he has never divested any shares in this whole, in this, in this whole event. Like he has seized power, but in, in many ways he still controls, um, you know, no, he had a, he had a forfeit. What, what are, you know, in, in his scale, a very small number of shares that he had, because I think they were like, they were, they had not vested. They were part of his compensation, but Vince has not made any significant stock moves since this scandal has emerged. Yeah. Do you feel that this would have been interpreted differently had things not been as trans? Uh, I won't even say a smooth transition, but it, it feels like this was this albatross on the company that was an inhibitor for growth. And with Vince McMahon out of the way, it seems like they have just soared coming out of this. That had it been a different, like the, the longstanding concerns of a Vince McMahon-less company is that, you know, the, the sky would be falling. And if business was down, if this was greatly negatively impacting the company, if this investigation would have been, um, more scrutinized, um, discussed a lot more. Instead, it just seems to be something that, um, they, they are not concerned about, that, the, that they are not going to be questioned about, that it seems like this has been, um, this has been a net positive for the company is this transfer of power. I think it definitely has. So, so what was your question, Zach? I'm just stating that, like, if, if these results had, if there had been a negative impact on business, Without okay. Vince McMahon, if there if this had not been a seamless transition of power, if this would have been viewed um, as a much bigger deal on on some of these earnings calls, more scrutiny towards um, these actions that have harmed the company. And instead, it, it just he seems like the opposite the creative genius he, he that he has pretended to be. It just seems like it is um, like there, there is no real. Um, there is no concern about these allegations or uh, harm that may have been done to people. It just seems that this did this hurt the company. Nope. We're just sweeping it aside and that's fine. The company doesn't want to talk about it and we're not going to ask about it. Yeah, it just feels I, like I that's it. That's that Vince McMahon is done. The earnings call is a, is a piece of content, if you will, that is for investors. It is not what, what you're talking about. is That's a media story and that's, a story that, involves. and I'm asking this at the largest sense. Like I'm not putting oh, yeah. this all on the the, the media sure. analysts, but this this extends to like I don't expect uh, Nick Khan or Stephanie McMahon or Paul Levesque to be prodded about this stuff either. They should be in some form. I mean, it would be, I would, I, I think, it would be nice if they would have real interviews where they would be asked real questions about what has really changed. What can you tell us to? What has changed about the 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 corporate culture or what has changed about human resources and the way that their, their policies are established. That's really going to assure and what's changed about talent relations. It's going to assure that, that talent what went into the hiring employees. process of Jamie Horowitz who left Fox amidst scandal. He has, he has a prominent role in this company. What, what was the deciding factor and how has this internal company culture changed? Like you can't just tell me this culture changes overnight with the removal of, of two key people. Right. And those, those are questions that media should ask. If W wants to gain the trust of the public to the extent that the public is, is, is aware and, and, and still has doubts about whether they can trust and if, if the talent may still have doubts about whether they can trust the company culture and their, their leaders, the people that over, oversee them, they should be asked real questions and should give real answers to to explain 
to what degree things have changed and, and what they've learned from these investigations on how to make their company better and a safer place for employees and talent. Um, is there going to be a press conference after Crown Jewel? Will there be a, There's a press conference tomorrow? Um, I, I would be. Is surprised. it really in, in Saudi yeah. Arabia? Oh, yes. I, mean, I, I yes. was not aware of this. I, I don't know who has access to it. I certainly don't. You, you apparently don't. <laughs> so <laughs> I was not invited. <laughs> you and I could have flown to Riyadh, uh, Brandon. We could have gone on a road trip. Yes. Uh, but, but yeah, there, I don't think that there, they see it as, as a worthy risk to, to put themselves in positions where people are going to ask those questions and they're, and they're going to give those answers, you know, to, if you want to, we talk about what, what's happening in Saudi Arabia right now, where mm-hmm. there was a report from wall street journal a few days ago that Saudi Arabia has told the U S government that they believe that Iran is, is planning to imminently attack Saudi Arabia. Um, is is anybody gonna gonna ask W about that? Is, is uh, Sean Rossap has reported that they're doing something to reassure people about safety. I'm, I'm you know, weakly paraphrasing what he re- he's reported. You know, I've I've asked around, I've heard nothing back. So I I think it's something where W doesn't want to say very much about it because it's probably only going to put more attention on it. And do people really care that much? I mean, I don't know. I I care. And I think you care, but is there, I, I guarantee you the people that are traveling there, I don't care how optimistic you are. You have, you know, not the same circumstances, but the, these are a lot of the same people that were there in 2019 that, mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have family members that I think, you know, read the news and you have a spouse or a partner that is flying over there for several days. Of course, there's going to be concern whether it's um, realized or not. I mean, uh, a spokesperson from Iran has, has denied this, calling it baseless. Um, I also don't think they would be uh, publicly uh, confirming uh, such a, <laughs> yes. such a plan either. Yes, um, but yeah, nonetheless, it was, um, you know, the, the show is obviously they're they're going forward with it, but it's a, it's a significant concern. And it's um, yeah, one that, that I'm very uneasy with uh, uh, just for the sake of these, these, talent and staff that are over there and i mean how much can you really rely in your you're like i don't know how much intelligence the company is receiving a, a, about this it just seems right. that this has been you know it's i don't know what uh, wwe is really going to be able to uh, ascertain from the legitimacy of this yeah in, in a morbid way there's precedent for this in, in march this year formula one right ha- had a race there while the houthi rebels attacked an oil field uh, and I believe you could see, like, from the racetrack, you could see the oil field burning. I believe it was in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. This event is in, in Riyadh. But, yeah, it's um, it's all part of a larger conversation about – I think we can have this conversation about the World Cup that's happening in Qatar. Um, about it, 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 You can't escape these anymore. Like, it was – you know, when this – you know, sports washing now, it's like – it's a term everyone is very much familiar with. And I think it's, you know, more and more um, – high level sports it's like you know combat sports has delved into this but it's it's sports at large it's large entertainment acts it's you know it really is interesting to see kind of the the public's reaction uh, to this all because it does kind of leave you with kind of this moral quandary of something you seek out for entertainment purposes but to do so to truly uh, enjoy this you really have to divorce yourselves from um kind of the the ethical uh, price tag that comes with some of these events that you are by proxy uh, supporting. Yeah. I think you can go, go even further with, you know, there's certain countries that are violating human rights and they're in, in W's case and probably in formula one's case and, and in the case of live golf, 
these sports organizations are being paid a lot of money. They are being paid essentially a controversy fee to associate themselves with a government that is violating human rights. Um, and you can go further and say, well, sh should we, should we, you know, travel to a, a, a certain wrestling event, a major wrestling pay-per-view or something that's in a state where the local government is, is establishing policies that I don't agree with. You know, it's a, I don't have the answer, but it's a question of like, where, where do you draw the line on your economic support that conflicts with your moral, you know, your, your support of moral and political values. And, you know, history would show that there is sort of the, the pattern of, outrage over this but they have this you know confidence and i can't even say it's unjust that there will be an exhaustion factor to it that people will you know if you are a fan of a product um ultimately you will you you will follow along and the controversy will dissipate over time i think we've seen these with these wwe shows that they have just continued forward they are very lucrative for the company and it's going to provide them a very strong uh fourth quarter as they go into uh this event this weekend um no longer just a large scale international event. It's, uh, it's yes. identified on television. It's, um, they're able it, to say the country that they're going to. So they have, uh, they, they have I moved think, forward I think on the, that. The more you have the live golfs and Formula One and others doing business in Saudi Arabia or in other countries throughout the world that have moral issues, the more it, it gives WWE and everybody else involved a, a, a cover to say, well, we're not the only ones. So what's the big deal here? As long as you know the moral standard isn't very high, and it normalizes it. I mean, that's that's kind of like that's the goal. Like that's that's the whole goal um, be, behind it all. Um, just a few more minutes here, Brandon. You've been very uh, generous sure. with your time. I got uh, the day off, man. Oh, f fantastic! Uh, a whole post wrestling day with uh, Brandon Thurston. Yes. Uh, WWE uh, earlier today they did put out their uh, their WrestleMania week uh, schedule for next year in uh, California, and they will be running uh, multiple nights at the crypto. Dot com arena formerly the staples center they will be once again bundling friday night smackdown and the hall of fame together on the friday night saturday they'll be doing a double header it is nxt stand and deliver at the arena and then night one of wrestlemania uh both nights at sofi stadium and then they will close out with raw monday night back at the crypto.com arena so following the the wrestlemania week schedule of this past uh year in uh, Dallas, Texas, and it was brought up that they have sold nearly a hundred thousand tickets already uh, for for WrestleMania. So it, it's on pace to be a very, very big weekend uh, for for the company. And I think that's consistent with what WrestleTix has seen in the ticket maps. Um, so something else from the earnings calls, Nick Khan mentioned that they have sold four point six million dollars worth of tickets. I believe he put it as a gross for what they've done so far for the Royal Rumble in San Antonio in January. So, I mean, just to put that in some context, $4.6 million for Royal Rumble so far, so they're going to do more than that. Um, $8 million for Clash the Castle, while, while we've been talking about AEW doing $1 million gates for the first time. They've done four of them now. So, yeah, I guess like Clash the Castle. In terms of ticket sales, because those ticket prices were so high, like eight, eight AEW pay-per-views in terms of ticket sales. So that's, that is a lot of money. Do, do you have an estimate on on what full gear is kind of trending at gatewise? No, I would have not to yet. look at look at what they've they are almost sold out, not quite sold out, right? I think the last I saw from WrestleTix was the the nine to ten thousand range uh, of tickets mm -hmm. out. So, um, you know, they they could add one more uh, gate uh, to, to to the total this year. We shall see. Um, 
So for the remainder uh, of this year, um, what did you take in terms of uh, just the guidance for uh, the rest of the year? Uh, nothing was brought up about the the PLE strategy eliminating the day one event. So they will go, um, they will present an NXT show in December, but no main roster premium live event between Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble. But between um, you know the Saudi Arabia show, Survivor Series is trending very very high. There will probably be a lot of buzz for that show in Boston. It. Looks like a, a strong end to the year for the company as they will uh, once again likely hit record numbers, as you yeah, predicted. I, sure, yeah. It's it, it's easy to predict how, how well they're going to do because at least through the fall of 2024, this is a, a business that's largely driven by guaranteed escalating TV rights fees that escalate no matter what TV ratings they really produce. Um, but yeah, I, I think Stephanie McMahon's five... Areas of growth were, were interesting. We talked about one, the, the M&A question, but she said media rights escalation, of course. Number two is international PCs and local globalization or global localization. So something that was sort of put on hold while, coincidentally or not, while, while Paul Levesque was not in the same position of power that he has reemerged into. Uh, that seemed to be put on hold until recently. Maybe that's an idea that they're reconsidering again. Part of that story is NXT UK going away and NXT Europe, whatever that is or whatever that's going to be. Uh, there was a lot of talk about that and how they want to do things that are similar to the NIL program in that region and how it's easier for them to, for instance, recruit talent from India and get them in and train in doing things in Europe than it is to get them into into the U.S. with the immigration process here. Um, so they're going to do that. Number three is the monetization of IP, including talent moats. I have no idea what that means. Uh, but it, it, other than doing things like they're doing a, a show on Hulu with Montez Ford and Bianca Belair. They're doing a Miz and Mrs. show. Um, I think, you know, Nikon, you, you, when you get new, very powerful executives into WWE, what often happens, I think, is that you have that new executive tries to apply their previous experience onto the company. I think early on in Nikon's tenure in WWE, we saw him try to apply, try to envision WWE as a talent agency, which is where he came from, CAA. And I think that's what drove, that's what drove all that controversy around get everybody off Twitch and off of Cameo. And then let's gather that ourselves and license it. There was an organization within the company that was put that began to get put together to, to do that. And that was quickly disbanded. So that appears that idea did not last. So I don't know what that would, if, if that had gone better, maybe that's what she's talking about here, but I'm, but I'm not sure anyway. And then number four, digital web three, whatever the metaverse becomes, which seems to be how everyone prefaces it. Whatever this thing is going to be, the metaverse yes. that I we mean, know everybody laughs at it. So I'm going to hedge here, you know, Whatever it's going to be. Whatever it is, we're going to figure it out and we're going to be uh, best in class as they, as they love to, uh, to tell. We also, uh, as well, bigger, better, broader. The WWE, as described by Eric Handler. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've, I've heard reports that they're, they're considering indie talent again. I think it, it, the way that WWE talks about itself, and I think it's, I've always suspected it's been largely driven by Vince and maybe there's some lasting effect from Vince or maybe some things that have been truly believed and internalized based on things that he's put forth in the company to some extent. Certainly that's true. 
But I think there's real questions around like, is that idea of recruiting athletes whose first choice in life was not to be a pro wrestler, but was to be whatever it might be, a, a American football player or an Olympian. And they haven't succeeded to the fullest level of being able to do that. Or maybe they've had an injury or something like that. So they can still do worked pro wrestling. And I don't doubt that there's some value in recruiting from those people. And you can arguably say that that's where we got Big E from, Roman Reigns, Baron Corbin from, and others. And is that the right move? Is it, it, it or is or is the extent to which they're looking at that an overinvestment versus recruiting actual wrestlers who have pro wrestling experience, which I think is an idea that Paul Levesque is at, at a minimum more open to than Vince, Vince McMahon was, because you can have great athletic ability, you can have a great personality, but those things will only take you so far, in my view, in pro wrestling. If you also have a passion for this business, for pro wrestling, which, which I think is, is a, is a permissible term again. Um, so I think that's a real question and debate to be had. Uh, we, we hear here from, uh, from, from Evan. He's missed, uh, these 1 PM shows. Well, uh, we'll oh. enjoy this. Brandon, uh, bringing us back to the days of the post daily news show. Uh, thank you very much for the super chat and MJ, uh, a favorite of all of ours, uh, chiming yes. in as well. Very active, uh, in the chat is one MJ who we always love to hear from as well. Um, the last topic and it, and it kind of, uh, dovetails off of what you were just discussing. And I just kind of wanted some of your thoughts on, uh, the fight plus. Uh, strategy um, announcing this week the the addition of uh, Game Changer Wrestling, all of their their library and all of their events moving forward. A four ninety nine a month price tag, uh, or fifty dollars for the entire year. And this contrasts it. It sort of it, like we have these different sort of hubs now for independent wrestling. There is independent wrestling TV that is out there. Um, High Spots ha- has their library, and then you have Pro Wrestling TV that is. Really in its infancy, I, I haven't seen too much attention on pro wrestling TV. They've added, you know, several libraries. MLW, I guess, has been their, their biggest acquisition so far. And they're going the, the free ad supported model as well. What's just kind of your, your thought? Like fight seems to be like the brand when it comes to, you know, non WWE, you know, paid content that, you know, is, is there room for all of these? And, and does this strategy of fights, um, Make makes sense to you. It's certainly, you know, this idea of making this so affordable that if you're a GCW fan, this is a no brainer to sign up for. The question is how many of those people are out there? I would have to look. So Fight is now owned by Triller. Am I getting this all right? And Triller is a publicly traded company or there was a, a SPAC that made it a publicly traded company. Um, and it looks like that. That entire entity was not profitable, but this is all a bet on the future that one day this will be a big business. Um, I was reminded of, oh, remember Flow Slam? Remember Flow Sports? This is kind of the game that they thought they could get into and, and do good business with. And they had very high hopes of the libraries they were going to acquire. I remember talking to so- somebody there and, you know, it was, it, it was great. I was like, yeah, if you could pull in all these different companies like that, that would be great. But the, the reality was like they, they had Evolve, um, you know, they had, you know, they, they had several notable companies, but it was one that it just seemed, um, you know, it, it didn't really have that, that, that really significant, um, library that was going to be a, be a must have for fans. And it came and went. It was just, you know, in, 
it was a several month experiment that just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I, I, I think, and this is reflected in how I guess I, I choose to cover things in, in WrestleNomics is that I think there's, wrestling is not a great business to invest in. <laughs> it's, wrestling is a good business if you're WWE or if you're AEW. It's a high risk business if you're anybody else. <laughs> and I think you can understand why there's, you know, maybe VC money that, that's interested in, in, you know, getting behind a, a wrestling company like, like say it's MLW or NWA or, or wow. Um, maybe even to an extent, an extent fight, a fight, fight is more than just pro wrestling in that the same argument that Tony Khan made was that you look at, look at what W just did. And I'm thinking of 2018, but what they're going to continue to do in all likelihood, look at this great TV deal that they just made. And maybe there's, and, and we all know and see that there's great value and explosive value in live sports. So what if we were able to do the same thing? And I just think below those two top companies that are able to, that have the presence and have the profile to get on major, a major TV network like USA, Fox, TNT, TBS. Below those, I don't think that there's a, a strong opportunity to do something that, that approaches that level of, of media revenue, which is ultimately what we're talking about here. It's great to sell tickets, but at the production values that are required to be a company of that size or that look, it's, it's very expensive to run a AWE or an AW event. Now, maybe what we're talking about here is, is something different than that because we're talking about GCW, which is certainly a less expensive product to put on. Um, depending on what the, what it costs them. I mean, GCW clearly has an audience and I, we have no idea what their financial picture looks like, but it, but it seems like they've run a, a, a number of successful events and they built a really strong cult following. I guess I think in, in the, in the picture of, of us pro wrestling right now, I think there might be an opportunity for one other indie to emerge as a strong pro wrestling company that builds a cult following that offers something that's different from what a different flavor of wrestling than what, what GCW game changer provides. Um, the, the challenge is that all of the talent is now correctly evaluated and, and taken into AEW or WWE. So that, that's as stock analysts on a WWE call would say a big headwind. Um, but you know, there's, there's going to be for, for, for the people in the wrestling business, there's, there's money and livings to be made for them, at least as, as wrestlers, talent, production, people, promoters, management, whatever it might be, because there are deeper pocketed people who are willing to invest in it and willing to employ you for, the gamble that maybe this will work out. Yeah, I think short term, it's it's probably fantastic for a game changer wrestling. Like this is obviously something that was worth their while to to take this um, to take this deal uh, with Fight Plus. But I look back at New Japan, and I remember ten years ago spending thirty dollars every couple of months for a you stream pay per view. Yeah. And then suddenly New Japan World comes along, phenomenal deal, um, a fraction of the cost. And, you know, we've seen New Japan World like it, you know, it roughly, you know, is in that range of 80 to 100,000 subscribers on an annual basis, which is fine. Um, but to me, it's not transformative to, to the company, even though they've expanded. It's not like you had 100,000 people buying pay-per-views on Ustream. Uh, the question is just how much um, how much as you try to expand this tent is are there those those people that, you know, 
it's more hours of wrestling and and and, and finding the, the the time for it and and making this deal make sense for both parties, not just the one that's being paid for it, but the ones that are you know footing the bill for this in this case uh, fight. And that's to be determined based on yeah. you know how this grows. What what else they add to this service if this becomes a must have for enough people that long term it makes sense. Yeah, I think I think a way to just like illustrate how much content there is and how much prime time high-end pro wrestling content in terms of the production value behind it that there is now is that imagine telling yourself in 2017 or something like that, that there's wrestling on prime time cable or broadcast in the U S five days a week, right? Cause we've got raw NXT dynamite impact and new Japan on Thursday and then SmackDown and Rampage on Friday, all five days of the week, and many wrestling media outlets and I, you know, Post and, and others are not even covering NXT immediately after it happens because there's just so much to cover. And I, I think it's it's more than satisfying the diet of, of a given wrestling fan. It's not like there's there's just not enough wrestling content out there. It's not like there's just Two wrestling, com- two wrestling shows from Raw and SmackDown from WWE on. There's a wide variety of it. And so it's got to be an excellent, excellent product or it's got to really offer a different flavor that's not being provided anywhere else. Yeah, in, in that sense, I, I think it's sometimes the most difficult time period in terms of breaking through to to that audience that they have their routine every week and it's very hard to upset those routines to add on to. Um, the other side of it is like once you're built into a fan's routine, it's, it's sometimes very hard to break that habit and, and you don't want to push them to, um, to change those habits. And it was different in, let's say, 2015 or 2016 when W was leaving a lot of talent on the table or they were just one company and they could only consume so much talent. But now, especially since I guess I'm really talking about 2014 when, when Paul Levesque changed his philosophy on talent where he saw value, more value in talent that had wrestling experience than his predecessor, John Laurinaitis, did. Before then, they were leaving a lot of talent on the table, and gradually they, they took that talent, in, and then AEW came along and grabbed the rest of it. So my point is there's just not a lot of talent left out there that is strong talent that's going to help you gather a, an audience. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a really hard challenge. Pro wrestling is not a worthwhile venture if you are not WWE or AEW. That is a headline uh, from today's excellent discussion, as always, uh, with Brandon Thurston. And I want to remind in the short term be a good business for you and a good way for you to make money. Uh, I would caution anyone to invest in a startup wrestling company, though, would be my <laughs> advice. Proceed with caution is, is what uh, Brandon Thurston is, uh, <laughs> is alerting everybody. And we want you to proceed over to postwrestling.com slash live to pick up your tickets now for the post wrestling five year anniversary show where Brandon Thurston himself will be in the house at QXT's nightclub. Uh, we are going to be hosting a Q and a Braden Harrington and Davey Portman of up next will be in the house as well. WH park, Mike Murray, Andrew Thompson, Chris from LA. It's going to be a whole plethora of post wrestling, uh, personalities, uh, joining us in Newark, New Jersey, as Brandon said, just steps away from the Prudential Center, the site of Full Gear. Are you going to be uh, attending Full Gear on Saturday night with me, Brandon? 
I hope so. I think I'm in the same boat as you. I, I think I'll be able to, to attend. Yes. 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 <laughs> I feel, uh, AEW is playing with us. They, uh, they gave me the okay and, uh, no, oh, did they? they? They put the red light up uh, to to Mr. Wei Ting, so it is. Uh, Did they're, they? They're trying to split us in in two. Yes. So um, anyway, wow. we were, we're trying to figure out the plans for one Wei Ting because uh, you know what I I don't I don't go anywhere without Wei. So uh, we we will see what's happening uh, that night. But I will be there at uh, at full gear, and uh, maybe I will have someone to sit with at the press conference. The big follow up will the press conference. Brandon, I brought this up earlier. Do they put the elite in front of the media that night after the show? It seems like they put people in front of the media who win big matches or who win titles. There's no shortage of titles there, though. Um, do they win the six-man titles back? Then maybe they do. Uh, but that's uh, yeah, that's that's a dangerous one. Are you going to go to the the uh, the post pay-per-view scrum presser, whatever we should call it? I'm assuming I will. Yeah, I think yeah. so. This would be my my first time attending one of these, so maybe you can uh, you can give me some pointers about. I've, I've, I've been to one. But yeah. yeah. Do you think it'll be catered? Do you think there'll be cupcakes handed out no. at the beginning? No? no. No. Nothing like that. Okay. There might be water. They, I, I was offered water. Well, that that's nice. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Uh, WrestleNomics can be heard every Sunday here on the Post Wrestling Network with the, uh, the, the, the Holy Trinity of Brandon Thurston, Chris Gullo, and Jesse Collings. And Brandon will be back later tonight with the Thursday 30. And yes. what's coming up tonight, Brandon, for people that want more WrestleNomics from Brandon Thurston? If you just can't get enough, there is a Thursday 30 episode I'll do with Chris Gull that is, is for subscribers only at patreon.com slash Islamics. Uh, we are going to go through a few questions that some of our subscribers have given us. Um, and we may talk about the rating that comes out in just a couple hours for Dynamite. Yes. Going against the World Series. Yes. Could the sky be falling? Is AEW going out of business? It's, it was under a million last time. It was 997,000. So done. Done. Jeff Jarrett's killed this company. Jeff Jarrett. Oh, my God. Yes. Well, there you go. Brandon, uh, thank you so much. I think this is our, our lengthiest chat, but uh, I always enjoy uh, sitting down with you for these uh, these quarterly calls. And uh, yes, Sundays. Check out WrestleNomics Radio. And uh, thanks to all of you uh, for joining us live. This was a, a, a fun time back here at uh, 1 p.m. And uh, coming up this weekend, we've got Rewind to SmackDown Friday night uh, for members at postwrestlingcafe.com. And then Saturday, I am back with Kate from Montreal as we will be going through Crown Jewel, um, the professional wrestling, the politics, the controversies, all of it covered uh, this Saturday. We'll be going live at about 3 p.m. Eastern time uh, right after the show concludes, which uh, looks to include both Paul brothers on this show as uh, Paul Levesque kind of dropped that. That was like the go-home angle was done on the earnings call with uh, the note that Jake Paul will be in Logan Paul's But will Sami Zayn be there, who has, I believe, never been on a Saudi Arabia show? Something tells me um, something will happen on SmackDown that will preclude him from making oh. the, the trip. Maybe maybe Jay, Jay Uso. Are you, giving, are you giving people a spoiler here without a warning? That, that, it's a pure guess. Um, okay. But maybe we'll see uh, Jay Uso tear up his passport or something like that. And Sami Zayn is not able uh, to come. Not a okay. maybe not not an Uzi uh, ending mm. for Sami Zayn and his hopes of going to uh, to Saudi Arabia, which uh, I'm, I'm sure he's not regretting that fact after this week's news. All right. That's going to wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for tuning in for our special look at the WWE's third quarter earnings. And that is a wrap.